I remember right after the diagnosis of my dad's cancer, I had this seven hour drive. I was up visiting my grandchildren. And do you ever have like one of those times where you can only see what is wrong with your life? Do you ever have those days? Like you, you can't see anything that's right. You know, they say, I read this in an article, that women are 10 percenters. Most women, we have this in common. We look in the mirror and we see 10% of what is wrong and we don't see the 90% of what is right. You know, we only see the 10 that needs improvement. That's what we tend to do. We've met those other women though that see the 90% that's right. There are like three in the world and we know their names. But we see the 10% that's wrong, most of us. It's all we can see is what needs improvement. And it was one of those days. We're even looking in the rearview mirror. All I could see was what needed improvement. And I was driving, and Brian had said to me, you need to listen to Matt Redman's um, newest album. And the the, uh, CD was in the car, and I popped it in. And it came to the song, You Are Faithful. And I, I have to say, at this time in my life, I was tired, I was wrung out, and I was going through some pretty big, big battles in just about every arena of my life. And I heard this song, and this is how it goes, the lyrics, standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us, kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once Did you leave us on our own? You are faithful, God. You are faithful. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. It changed my whole perspective. Instead of seeing everything that was wrong, I began to see the miracle of my life. I began to take inventory of the grace of God upon my life. I saw the miracle of where I was saved, saved. Yeah, there were some times I started to go my own way in my senior year of high school and college, and God was faithful, faithful to chasten me because he loved me to get me right on the path, on the right path back. I was married. I had a husband, I still do, who loves me who loves me, who comes home every night, who loves me, that's such a miracle because if anyone has sabotaged that, it's me. And he still loves me. And I've got a happy marriage. I actually like the man. I love him. I get excited when I see him. I have grown children that are walking with Jesus and they love Jesus and they speak wisdom to me. And my children have become my friends, and they've even become my mentors. They love to tell me what to do now. (laughs) 
I have safety. My house is safe. My house has never been broken into. God has protected my home. Uh, you know, I think about all the times that I have been in harm's way by my own mistakes, by my own stubbornness, and God has protected me. I thought about the health, the health of my husband, because, you know, I worry more about his health than mine. Like, I want to die first. That's just my desire. You could stop that, you know? And we argue about which one of us gets to die first. My parents used to, too. We just picked up their argument. Dad won. Provided for. I've been provided for. You know, all those times where I thought, I don't know how we're going to pay this. I don't know how we're going to come through. God has always come through miraculously. I thought of the miracle of all the battles I had survived. That God had actually won all the battles where he turned the tables. Where it looked like I was going to be hung on Haman's gallows. And instead, Haman was hung. I thought about all those times. I thought, again, of the victory of my salvation, that God called me, he loved me, he saved me. I thought about the times he had dealt with the enemies, those who were against me. I thought about the enemies of finances, the financial battles that God had won, the spiritual battles against my own stubbornness, against my own rebellion against my own desires, the battles that God had won, the physical battles for health, the physical battle, which is both spiritual and physical of prodigals, the the battles against slander and against lies. And I thought about, oh, my, my Jesus, you helped me to stand and to make it through. And then I thought of the miracle of all I had, through Christ. And of course, this includes my children and my husband, my family, but it also includes a home and in a car that runs, runs, family, friends, church, ministry, opportunities to serve the Lord. And then I thought of all the promises God had fulfilled. All those places in my Bible where you give me promises and I had to write the word answered underneath because God had done everything he said he would do. And then I thought of all the pending promises that God has given me, things yet to come, things in the future yet to be fulfilled. But I've got these promises. I've got a stack of promises. You know, it's like, yeah, I have the bills that have been paid and the ones yet to pay. Well, I've got these promises that have come through, and then I've got this stack of promises yet to come through. Things he's spoken to me about the future. Promises for my children. And as I reflected and took inventory of the grace of God in my life, I began to cry and to praise the Lord, and suddenly I saw God's faithfulness. I saw God's goodness. I saw God's grace. In 1 Kings 19, verses 9 through 18, Elijah had a similar experience. He had gotten a mean, slanderous, threatening letter from a woman named Jezebel. And she had told him, oh, 
God help me if you are not dead by tomorrow, like one of the prophets of Baal. She staked her life on the murder of Elijah. And even though he had just been through this tremendous spiritual victory, he was scared and he began to just run as fast as he could out to the wilderness. In fact, he even retired his servant. He said to his servant, you're not going to be needed anymore. Elijah had gone out to the wilderness to die, to just quit the ministry, to have it over with. And he camped at a stream. And there at the stream, we're told that an angel came and made him a breakfast, a meal, and fed him and said, eat this because you're going to need all the strength that you've got. And then Elijah went running and we're told that he went to an exceedingly high mountain. Some people believe he actually went to Mount Sinai, to the very place where Moses had been when he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. And there Elijah waited and the Lord came to him and he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then God said, get ready for a revelation. And you know the story. There was the wind, there was the fire, there was the earthquake. And then there was this still small voice. And in the still small voice, God said to Elijah again, what are you doing here? In other words, Elijah, how did you make it all the way here? And Elijah had to take inventory of God's provision At one point, it had been ravens. Another time, it had been a widow. And another time, it had been the angel of the Lord himself sustaining Elijah. Elijah was alive by a miracle of God. It didn't matter the threat of a queen. God had miraculously always faithfully sustained his prophet. He reminded Elijah of the battles that had been won. There are 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee. 450 prophets of Baal had been slain. There was rain in Israel and God's presence and power had been manifested to all the leaders of Israel. But then God reminded Elijah there was still work to be done. There was another younger prophet to be anointed, Elisha. There was a king to be anointed, Jehu. And another king, Hazael, to be anointed. There was still work, promises to be passed down and passed out to others. You see, we can get so caught up in the busyness of life and even ministry We can be so concentrated on the 10% of what's wrong in our life or even the to-do list that we don't realize what's been done list because we're so looking at all the things we still need to do. The children of Israel still need to move out from the camp in Gilgal, move into their territory, settle into their houses, you know, clean the premises. Probably the wives are going, oh, we got to clean so much. You know, and no, I don't want the couch there. I want the couch a little to the right. You know, there's still so much. And everyone, anyone who's moved knows how hard it is to move. But it's also, they're going to have to change their whole way of living. They've been living as nomads. And now they're supposed to settle into houses and get used to living in one place and agricultural and and raising 
um, cattle ranching. They've got to get used to a whole new way of life. And we can become so focused on our to-do list. And when we do this, we put the responsibility so on ourselves. And, you know, sometimes thinking about the things I have to do, I can just get tired. I am a to-do list person. I've told you this before. Every single one of my journals, and I keep a journal of my Bible studies. I love to journal. I love to write. But at the back of every journal, you will find a calendar. A calendar that I've done myself. That I've done all the abbreviations. Sun, mun, to, you know, wed, wed, thur, fry, sat. I've done the calendar myself with all the days and all the months. And then I circle and I underline all the things that are yet ahead. And sometimes when I look at that calendar, I am totally overwhelmed. In fact, you know how I did a retreat last week? Right after this, I'm going to go do another retreat. What is wrong with me? And then I thought I got a break next week. And Brian goes, you do realize you're going up with me and you're doing this for the women up there. And I'm like, no. It's good. It's all good. What a great opportunity. But you know, sometimes I can, when I put the responsibility on me, I'm like, I don't know nothing about birth and no babies. I just like, it's way too much for me. I, I can't do this. And this is the time to take inventory of the miracle of God's grace in our life. You see, you are a miracle. Where you are right now is a miracle. You, right now, in your own life, you're standing on holy ground. You are saved. You know, sometimes we have to just take inventory. How did I get here? How did I, how did I become a Christian? Of course, for me, it's easy. My mom made me. But for the rest of you, how did you become a Christian? How did God get you to this place where you're saved? How did God bring you into this place where you are right now? You're a miracle. Your salvation is such a miracle. But then the grace of all you've come through. Oh my goodness, think of all the battles behind you. All the victories God has won in your life. All those places where you thought, I'll never make it through this one. I'm going down for sure. And somehow, here you are. You've made it through and God availed. And then all you possess through Christ. All the things, you've got a community here at Calvary Chapel, at Joyful Life. We are your people. We are your sisters. You've been brought into the family of God. How great is that? You are wanted. You are loved. Jesus loves you. Oh, all that we have through Christ, all the promises of God that we possess, the citizenship in heaven, There's a danger when we fail to take inventory of the grace of God in our lives. This is what happens. We ascribe where we are to our own power, our own perseverance. And when we do, we lose the sense of the power of God in our lives. Because our parade parade of pride takes precedence over the grace of God. You see, we are here by God's grace and not by any self-effort or anything we have done. It is God, it is God, it is God. 
But when we ascribe it to ourselves, we put extra responsibility in ourselves. The pressure increases. We can get so awful because we've got to do this. And you know, pride is ugly. It's just plain old ugly. I do pride ugly. You know how some people cry ugly? I pride ugly. It's just ugly. When we ascribe victory, you know, well, I won that battle to chance or coincidence, and sometimes we do. Oh, well, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened, and so here we are. And we don't realize the hand of God in the victories that we have. There's no security. Every battle that comes, you're like, I don't know. You know, we got a 50-50 chance. There's no security. But when we ascribe it rightly to God as the victor, then all we have to do is stand in God. And we know we are guaranteed the victory through Christ because we are told in 2 Corinthians that God always gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.14, we always have the victory when we are following Jesus. But when we ascribe victory to ourselves, well, what happens? We say, well, it was my strategy or it was my strength or it's the community we are in. Then we put so much expectation on our strategy and our plans. All our faith goes into strategizing or into personal strength or even we put pressure on the community we're in and we start having expectations for the church or for our friends or for our family. Like you need to do this. You need to show up. You need to do your part. And it keeps us from effectively fighting against the enemy. And and we do one of two things. We either huddle and try to hide from the enemy and just shoot out at him, bomb the enemy instead of bringing the gospel to the enemy. Or we join the enemy. We begin to try to appease or compromise with the enemy so he won't attack us. When we ascribe what we have, our possessions, to our own deservedness, like, well, I'm entitled, I earned this, I deserve this, I lose the sense of God's grace and I become thankless. Thankless. You know, there is nothing worse than a thankless person. You ever give a gift to a thankless person? It's so demoralizing. They just go, mm hmm. Oh, one of these? Oh, I already have three. Great, because I spent all my money on that. And I really wanted some C's candy too, but I gave it all to you. You know? It's, we become thankless. And when we become thankless, when we ascribe it to our own power, you know what we, pressed in, what we pass out? Our personal testimony. Oh, I'm sorry you're not like me. <laughs> Because I do everything right. I have this young girl and she spoke to me and she said, why am I having marital issues? And I said, because you're you? And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. I did everything right. Everything right. And I said, then that's why you've got marital issues. Because you did everything right. See, I did everything wrong and I don't have any. 
Mine is all by the grace of God and yours, you're dealing with humanity. But she really said, you know, I don't understand this. I did everything right. I mean, she was like angry. I felt like I was getting, you know, the punches for God, you know. I did everything right. And I said, that's why, because of your self-righteousness. Because this is what happens. If someone has marital problems, you're going to say, follow me. Follow me. I do everything right. Just follow me. If you just follow me, you can have a perfect marriage too. Or your point to your methodology. Okay, make sure that you do this. Remember the Total Woman book? Some of you who are like my age and older. Like she was telling you how to have the best marriage. I mean, she had some pretty scandalous things in there, like meet your husband in saran paper at the front door. That was pretty gross. Anyway, she got a divorce. I'm just saying. Because, you know, methodologies don't work. And we're pointing people to a system instead of to the grace of God. Or we're pointing people to, these are the five rules I live by. It doesn't have to be the Mosaic law. There's also Cheryl's law. And if I point people to Cheryl's law and they're trying to abide by the law, there goes the grace of God and the power of God. I don't want to pass down rules and regulations or methodologies or even me to my children. I want to pass down the promises and the power and the grace and the heritage of God's children to my own children, to the people of God, to this younger generation. I want to say, you've got the promises of God. You're going to find everything you need in Jesus, everything. And he's got so much for you. In Joshua 12 and 13, before moving into the land and the houses God had for them and into the territories that were going to be allotted to them. They needed to take inventory of God's grace, where God had brought them, who God had defeated for them, and what God had already given them in order that they might properly allot the promised land, move fully into these promises and pass the promises down as a heritage to their children, their children's children, their children's children's children, their children's 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 children, children, and so on. We find that God had brought them, remember 50 years earlier where they had been? Slaves in Egypt. Against them were the armies of Egypt, the Red Sea, the wilderness, their own sin, their own disunity. In fact, when Moses first appeared to them, they didn't even want him as a leader. All these things were against them. But God miraculously delivered them from Egypt. And they went out as a people together. He parted the Red Sea. He drowned the Egyptian army. He brought them through the wilderness. He removed the doubters, detractors, and deterrents from their midst. He gave them water from rocks to refresh and sustain them. He fed them every day with manna from heaven, angels' food, to nourish and strengthen them. You know, they say that manna looked like a coriander seed and tasted sweet. Could it be that it tasted like angel food cake? I'm just saying. God dealt with all the impediments. 
He told them, I will get you into that land. But it looked like an impossibility 50 years earlier. But God dealt with the oppressors, the seas, the wilderness, the wild animals, the dryness, the climate, the rivers, the raiders, the giants, the curses of prophets, Joshua 13, 22, with Balaam, with the sabotage and schemes of the enemy, Numbers 25, 1 through 2, 16 through 18, again, with um, Balak, using Balaam. God brought them all the way across the Jordan River and into the land. And now, as the people are taking inventory, as they take inventory, they are standing on, they are living in the very land God promised them. And they're eating the produce of that land. They're eating of the wheat and the barley and the crops. They're partaking of the fruit, the grapes that the spies had brought back from this land. They are eating those grapes, the dates, the figs, the pomegranates, the olives. What seemed absolutely impossible to their forefathers In fact, what their fathers had attempted, failed to do, they are standing and camped and eating from and occupying the very land. They are there. They are living the promise. And God has done it all. Everything. They are on holy ground. In Joshua 12, they take inventory of all the battles God has won. These these kings were all defeated by battles. And Israel was weak. These were nations that were greater and mightier than they were. But they defeated the great kings on the east of the Jordan. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And that would be the area that is now known as the Golan Heights. And the foothills that run along the Galilee from Mount Hermon to the river Arnon, including the eastern side of the Jordan River and the northeast, what is now the area of Teldan. They they were able to conquer Og, and he's one of the remnants of the giants. He had a kingdom of giants. His bed was iron, and to accommodate him, it had to be 12 feet long and 6 feet wide, according to Deuteronomy 3.11. Talk about a king-size bed. We're not talking a California king. We're talking an Og king. And this is the eastern plain from the side of the Sea of Galilee all the way to the Dead Sea. Then west of Jordan, the land God promised, formerly occupied by the king of Jericho, defeated. King of Ai, defeated. King of Jerusalem, defeated. King of Hebron, defeated. King of Jarmuth, defeated. King of Lachish, defeated. King of Eglon, defeated. King of Gezer, old Gezer, defeated. King of Debur, defeated. King of Geder, defeated. King of Horma, defeated. King of Ered, defeated. King of Libna, defeated. King of Adullam, defeated. King of Makkara, defeated. King of Bethel, defeated. You know, I think that it was important that they name each one of their kings, these kings that have been defeated, to remember, defeated, 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 defeated by God. Conquered, conquered, conquered. Tapua, king of Hefer, King of Aphek, 
king of Lasharon, king of Madon, king of Hazar, who was the king of the kingdoms in Israel, king of Shimron, king of Akshaph, king of Tanakh, king of Megiddo, king of Kadesh, king of Jokneam in Carmel, king of Dor, king of Gilgal, king of Tirzah. 33 kings in all. Two great kingdoms on the eastern side of the Jordan and 31 great kingdoms on the western side of Jordan. And these included their armies, their nobles, their leadership, their peoples, soldiers. God had defeated giants, armies, cavalries, chariots, fortresses. He had proved himself greater than all the weapons of the enemy. What they now possessed, what Israel now had in their possession, they had valleys and mountains and ranges and plains and seas and slopes and rivers and kingdoms and houses and farms and orchards and crops and cattle and horses and sheep and lands. By the grace of God, this is where they're standing on this holy ground, looking back on this mountaintop, seeing all God had defeated, all God had already done for them, and all that they now possessed. And God speaks to Joshua about all that remains yet to be possessed. Take it. Take it all as an inheritance, a gift from God. Joshua 13, 1. God says to Joshua, and I love how God sometimes states the obvious because we see it, but we won't acknowledge it. Now Joshua is old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Sometimes God just needs to tell us because we're like, no, that's not really a line. And God says, no, that's a line. That's a, that you're old, you are old, you know, like, is this ache just because I shouldn't have lifted that box? Or is it because I'm, you know, almost 58? It's because you're almost 58. You shouldn't lift boxes like that. It's what young people are for. Your children are for. You call them up and you say, lift this box for me. I had you, I raised you, lift it. (laughs) But here he's saying, Joshua, you're old and advanced in years, but there still remains very much land yet to be possessed. Don't you love it? No matter how old you get or advanced in years, you're still young enough for the promises of God. Isn't that amazing? There's still land to be possessed. My Aunt Isi, at 83 years old, she applied for and got the job of teaching the high school um, ministry at her little church. As she took that high school group, and she grew it from five kids to, there were quite a few children, high school kids. They just absolutely loved my 83 and 84-year-old Aunt Isi. They couldn't get enough of the Bible and the grace of God that came forth from her, and oh, how she would pray for them, how she interceded for them. It wasn't unusual to go to Isi's house and have some high schooler knocking at the door just to come in and talk to Isi, and she'd be like, oh, oh, 
you know, Julie's here. It's Julie who Jesus loves. Oh, it's Julie who Jesus loves. And, you know, Julie would come in like, yes, here I am, the beloved of the Lord, you know, and she's all of 14 years old. And she wants to talk to an 83-year-old about her whole life. And, and my aunt would sit down and listen as Julie poured out. There were so many young people at my aunt's funeral because she had touched their lives into such an incredible way by the grace and the love. At 83, she realized there was so much land to still be conquered. My, my other aunt, my dad's older sister, Virginia, they had to retire her at 80. It was mandatory retirement. She was still teaching high school. And she had asked in her 70s if she could be the teacher of the unwed mothers in high school. And that was her specialty. She wanted those that others rejected. She wanted those that felt that they had disqualified themselves because she could say anything she wanted to them and she would tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. My Aunt Virginia, when she had mandatory retirement, she made up these cards and she went around and she put them on all the neighbor's doors offering 25 cents and all the cookies anyone could want if any of the children in the neighborhood would help her come over and weed once a week. And all these kids showed up at my aunt's house to have cookies and to help her weed her garden. And then she said, and I've got an extra surprise. And she gathered them all into her living room and she told them about Jesus. And she would give them Bible stories. And those kids would come They'd be waiting at the door for her to wake up so that they could come in. And she'd be like, oh, I have to have my cup of coffee. And then she would just go out and talk to them while they weeded her garden. You see, there remains so much land to be conquered. It's never over. There is still so much more that God has for us. There's more promises, more extensions, more blessings, more battles to be fought and won. Verses two through six, God begins to outline the territory, territory of the Philistines, the coastlands, north, all the way to Egypt, the Southland of the Canaanites, the land of the Gibelites, and all Lebanon from Mount Hermon to Hamath. God is saying, I want to do so much more. I want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you have asked or thought about. I want to extend the borders. I want to go beyond, beyond, beyond. God promises to drive out the inhabitants from before Israel. First, it's to be given and allotted. Give them this territory. I'll give them my promises with the territory. And then each tribe by faith is responsible to take the portion given and to finish the work, to apply all that they have learned fighting with Joshua, to use all the grace that they've been imparted with. Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh are to settle the territory that they have requested on the east side of the Jordan. And Joshua reminds them again and again, it's an inheritance. It's a gift. In our lives, we have inherited the promises of Christ. Christ won them. Christ earned them. And then he gives them to us as an inheritance because we believe in him. 
not because we've earned them, not because we deserve them. This is the grace of God. It is not possible to receive these promises apart from God's intention, intervention, and instructions. It's not an entitlement, and it's not a wage earned. It's the gift of God. There is no allotment, we're told in Joshua 13.33, given to the tribe of Levi. They are not given one territory that they can just huddle in. They are to be spread throughout the whole nation of Israel. There are to be Levites located in each of the tribal allotments. Why? To keep the spirituality of Israel intact. Each of the men of the tribes of Levi, they have special duties that once a month, every year, they will have to go to the tabernacle and serve. It's like a a retraining, a recertification so that they will again get the law and the stories and the heritage of God and take it back to all the different tribes of Israel so that there will be spiritual leadership through the land. They are to retrain, relearn, and be able to relate the laws of the Lord to the tribes of Israel. We love holy huddles, don't we? But God sends us out And he puts us everywhere out among the people that we might be an example, that we might lead spiritually, that we can compel others to go to the feast of the Lord at the tabernacle. And so God sent the Levites out among the people and said, I'm your inheritance. You don't need to all huddle together. I'm your inheritance wherever you go. I want you to feed and feast on me that you might pass out and pass down and pass around all my promises to the children of Israel and keep them mindful of me and my promises. This inventory that Israel took reminded them of the faithfulness of God and his promises, God's fortitude to make it happen, and God's favor upon their lives. And this would inspire them to continue to seek and serve the Lord, fight the enemy, settle into his promises, hold on to their allotment, appreciate their allotment, and pass down the promises of God to all of Israel. You see, taking inventory of the grace of God is a spiritual essential. It's how we recognize the grace of God in our lives. And the more we recognize the grace of God in our lives, the more we can receive it, the more we can reciprocate and reflect it to others. It inspires us. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The more we take inventory of how much God has done, he hasn't brought us this far to say, well, you made it in the promised land. Best of luck with the rest of the enemies. I've done my part. See ya. No, God says, I'm here with you all the way to the end. In Isaiah, God promises, I will be your guide even unto death. In Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews reminds us that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
in order that we might boldly proclaim, the Lord is my helper. I have no need to fear man. He who has begun a good work, he's going to finish it. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10, he's responsible to get you all the way through to settle you in the land. Taking inventory of our own lives helps us to realize just how far God has brought us. Wow. I can't believe it. Brian got me an iWatch for Christmas. I didn't want one. I love it, but I didn't want it. I bought him Hoka running shoes. He didn't want them. He still doesn't like them, but that doesn't matter. It was a gift. It was an inheritance. But the thing about this watch is that it will tell you how far you've walked in a day. And you don't, I'm just going about my day. I was with my friend Ellie and we were just having fun. And the next thing I know, Ellie goes, did you check your iWatch? I'm like, no. She goes, we walked nine miles. I'm like, we walked nine miles. We did 30 flights of stairs. We did 30 flights of, no wonder I'm tired. I mean, it's crazy. You don't realize how much you're doing in a day and how many steps you've taken. When you say that, you're like, oh, wow. I did 30 flights of stairs by the grace of God. I didn't know I could do 30 flights of stairs. If you had told me, tomorrow you need to do 30 flights of stairs, I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't think so. But when it's all done, you're like, oh my goodness. And then, you know, I have to call Brian or at least send him a text. I did 30 flights of stairs. I have to tell my children, guess what I did yesterday? 30 flights of stairs. You know, in my own house, I've got a two-story and I'm always forgetting things, you know? And so the other day it was like, you've done 20 flights of stairs. And it was, I never even left my house. It was because I kept forgetting why I went upstairs. So I go downstairs and I remember that I go upstairs and I, you know, forget and I go downstairs. How far the Lord has brought us though. We, We need to take inventory and just think about how far, especially the older you are and the more advanced in years, the further God has brought you. The further God has brought you. And we need to take inventory We need to take inventory. It's essential that we might continue to fight the good fight, that we don't give up, that we don't, you know, just say, I'm tired of fighting. This is enough land that we don't try to do the holy huddle and just hide from the enemies. Like I'm going to go into my closet. I'm going to shut the door and just wait for the rapture. But we go into all the territory trying and to compel as many people as possible to join us in this glorious home going. That we don't hide from the enemy. We don't run from the enemy. We don't compromise with the enemy. But we seek God's direction, strategy, and power against the enemy to claim the whole land. Thirdly, that we might live in and by his promises. You see, as we take inventory, we realize that God's ways work. That God has kept his promises. And what does that make you want to do? Well, you kept those promises. Can I have this one and this one and this one and this one? It makes you want to claim more promises and to live in these promises and possess all that he has for you. There is more. There is more. 
Paul in Philippians 3.12 says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This is one scripture that I prefer the old King James that I might apprehend that for which Christ Jesus has apprehended me. You know, sometimes the old King James is just so majestic. I just love it. I love all the translations of the Bible. But sometimes the King James, it's just like, yes, that I might apprehend that, that I might grasp it with both hands, the purposes that God has grabbed hold of me with both hands, that I might not miss one purpose, That I wouldn't get to heaven and say, well, I had all this, but you only wanted this. I want to live in all of it. I want to claim as much territory for Jesus on earth as is possible. That I might possess all that he possessed for me. And then that I might pass this allotment. That I might give out his great promises to others. We are to recognize, live in love, and allot his promises to others. We are the living proof that God fulfills his promises. We are the examples of God's grace by where we stand, by the battles that have been conquered on our behalf, and by all we possess through Christ. And we use this testimony of what God has done in our life to authenticate to others the promises of God that are true, strong, and great. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, the God of all comfort, he comforts you when you're going through things, that you may be able to comfort others who are going through the same thing. Paul says, in my own life, we had the sentence of death. We even despaired of life. We thought, well, this is it. I'm about to see Jesus. But God brought us through that we might tell you that God is faithful. He is faithful. And then we give these promises that they might be received by our children, by our friends, by the community of Jesus as their inheritance from the Lord. You might be old and advanced in years or just simply feel old and advanced in years. You could be 12 and feel old and advanced in years. But there are still promises to be claimed, one settled into and given away, and taking inventory of God's grace will inspire you, will empower you, will compel you. Take inventory of where you stand right now. And all that God has brought you through that you might stand in this place where you are standing. All the victories that he has won for you and all that you have through Christ. Sometimes I can be so overwhelmed by all the deadlines in my life, my huge to-do list. It's then I need to stop and take inventory Think about the miracle of where I am and all the borders and boundaries and bullies. Can you see it? There's a lot of alliteration in this study. It was a groove. It was a Holy Spirit groove. Borders, boundaries, bullies that have already been dealt with by God. The miracle of what is behind me, of all the territory I have crossed, 
all the enemies that have been defeated and all that I now possess through Jesus Christ. I think about the miracle of all Jesus has conquered, all the victories, places he's come through. You know, I just filed my taxes. I hate filing taxes. Do you know I begin to stress out on New Year's Day every year, knowing that Uncle Sam is about to measure my life and assess me. I just like, oh no, please Uncle Sam, be merciful Uncle Sam to me a tax person. But I think about all the taxes, all the filings that have already been made, already been paid. I think of sometimes, you know, the messages I have to give, but I think about God's grace and giving me the message for you because he loves you. And all the messages that have already been written and delivered by the grace of God. I think of all the flights I've taken and every flight you're like, Traveling mercies, please. And all the flights that have landed safely, all the passport agencies I've been through, all the luggage that has been lost and found, literally lost, found, all the traveling mercies of God throughout my life, all the conflict, heartbreaking meetings, encounters, trials, that I've not only survived, but God has conquered. And I think of all I possess right now because of Jesus, my grandchildren, all five of them, each a miracle in their own right. I think of my own children, each a miracle, their spouses, a miracle. Sometimes I even love the spouses more than my own children so naughty. My loving husband, my friends, the best friends I've ever had, ever. I think of Joyful Life. I love this Bible study. I love the group meetings. I love doing the homework. I love that you guys show up. I just love this. I love the worship. I think this is such a blessing that we get to do this every Friday. It's then when I begin to think about these things, I get so excited about the land yet to be conquered. If God has done all this thus far, if he's been this good and he still has more promises, not just for me, but to my children and to my children's children and to the people of God, you know, sometimes I had the opportunity to go out to lunch with a young woman who's just absolutely beautiful, serving in the mission field. It was yesterday, and I just looked at her and I think, you are so much better than I was at your age. You're so much more mature. You're so much more receptive. She's also more beautiful, but she's just like so awesome. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is so awesome to see these young people taking the promises, believing, catching them, living in them. I, I get so excited. What other promises can I give you? I wanna give you all the promises. You know, I like to send my children letters and I like to put a promise of God in every letter. I like to find it and I like to put it in. Even the email I was reading this. I think it's for you. 
oh my goodness, you know what? We need to be more intentional about giving the promises of God away. I used to be. I used to take a promise every time I did my Bible study devotions, write it down and find somebody to give it to that day. And if I didn't find anybody and I found it in my pocket, then it was mine. Not to make me neglectful, but we need to be more intentional about giving the promises, to pray over other people for the promises. Kathy Gilbert and I, one time we were fasting. This woman had asked for prayer and we both decided to fast and pray for this woman. She calls me up. She goes, so what promise did you get for her? I'm like, I didn't, I was fasting. I was just giving up food. I didn't know we had to also give her a promise. You know, I thought it was good enough just that I wasn't eating food for her and praying. And she's like, no, promise, find a promise. I'm like, well, I gotta get off the phone. I gotta find this promise. Got off the phone. And I asked the Lord, give me a promise. The Holy Spirit laid something on my heart. I looked it up. I prayed over it for this woman. Then I was able to say, I prayed this promise over you and for you. Oh my goodness. Is that so exciting? That's our future. There's much land to be conquered and to be given away, passed down, passed out, passed around. There are promises to, to lay hold, but before you go any further, take inventory. Take inventory of the grace of God in your own life, where you stand by the grace of God. All God has conquered for you. And all you possess right now through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are never done with us. Lord, that it won't be finished until there's a new heaven and a new earth and we're standing in glory and the angels announce it is finished. Here it is. This is what you intended. This great new world without sorrow, without sin, without pain, without death. Lord, I thank you that there's still so much land to be conquered and settled into and realized. Lord, I pray by your grace that you would open our eyes. Lord, that we might take inventory, that we might see how you have been faithful, absolutely faithful to us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name.